then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong there. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. Only a butt. Free for your life. <laughs> 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 to a new world of parts and monsters. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert, and with me, as always, is the lovely Inthia. Hello. Happy New Year? Should we say that? Yeah, Happy New Year, indeed. Happy New Year. What did you do for New Year's? I had some steak, and then I went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do? (laughs) I had uh, some prime rib and went to bed. Yeah. So, welcome to Pods and Monsters. This is the podcast where we talk all about monsters and have fun. Uh, We talk about monster movies, sci-fi movies, almost any movie that we want. Um, Usually it's a movie that I haven't seen, but it might actually be a movie I have seen. And then we talk about it step by step, or scene by scene, I suppose. And uh, then you regale us with tales of production and history <laughs> that's a, right that's the process of our show it's a great time why are you talking like that what do you mean i don't know that's my voice okay <laughs> <laughs> today's episode is another universal studios classic we are going back to the year 1940 where we will meet vincent price and he is the invisible man in the invisible man returns yeah Fear of the unknown, the unseen grips the populace. As a human being made invisible and insane by a potent drug, preys on the citizenry, intent on vengeance. Prison walls cannot hold him, Scotland Yard cannot stop him. And while science works frantically, while a loved one waits and hopes, the invisible hands of a condemned murderer deal out death and destruction. Yeah, I didn't know anything about this movie, (laughs) in case you were wondering. I mean, I knew that Vincent price was in it but then when we meet his character he doesn't sound like what i know vincent price to sound like like the longer it goes on the more he sounds like vincent price yeah well he but he hasn't fully blossomed into vincent price (laughs) yes he doesn't have that that voice that kind of sounds a little you know whimsical little that it's more like this more uh serious and, and and he's not as uh hammy you know and uh, campy yeah yeah i mean he does get a little kooky in there which i do enjoy i had it and i went in very blind so why don't we get right into it let's do it okay 1940s the invisible man returns under no circumstances allow him to take off his clothes take off his clothes he won't do that, sir. There's a lady with him. 
So we start with the new Universal logo. Yep. Um, Again, my favorite logo. Yep. And we have a smoky screen or smoky scene. And it says Universal Presents. Um, and there's a lot of like booming music. It's it's very... And the music comes in real hot, I guess is the best way to put it. Again, this is Frank Skinner and Hans J. Salter, who we first met at uh, Son of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Another incredible score. These are Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, these are two of my favorite composers of Universal Horror. The title of the film, does it say The Invisible Man Returns or Invisible Man Returns? I think it says The Invisible Man. It's an animated title. Yeah, it materializes out of nothing. Yeah, I thought that was so good. I really, really like that. It goes from what Universal presents and it animates into uh, i put down reforming the invisible man returns um and then i did i guess i don't know i put vincent price question mark so i must have been surprised but i feel like i went into it knowing that vincent price was there yeah maybe you just didn't know it was this movie but you knew he had played the invisible man in the past Mm -hmm. Uh, also in these credits i want to make note that the writer or one of the writers is kurt seelbach and Kurt Seelenmach, his claim to fame the next year would be the creator of The Wolfman. Oh. Uh, in this movie, for some reason, his name is spelled with a K. And The Wolfman and movies throughout, it's usually a C. Okay. And then we follow the smoke up a hill. And we go to Radcliffe Manor. Radcliffe Manor, yes. To a kitchen with men at the table. And they're having a conversation one of them looks at the clock and comments that it's two hours until a hanging of some sort. Just two more hours and they're going to kill him. You know, the way you take on, one would think it was you they was going to hang. Mm-hmm. Mr. Cotton, I believe his name is, who is the butler, is concerned. They talk about someone named Mr. Jeff. They call him Mr. Jeffrey and he's murdered his brother. Yes, Jeffrey Radcliffe has murdered his brother. And we come to find out later that Jeffrey Radcliffe is Vincent Price. That's right. Played by Vincent Price. And his brother's name is Michael. We also find out through this conversation that Mr. Jeffrey, or Jeffrey, is engaged to Miss Manson. She is in the study with a man who we come to find out his name is Richard. Richard Cobb. Yes, Richard Not the inventor of the Cobb salad. My favorite salad. What's the first name of the inventor of the Cobb? No, wait. A chef invented... Someone else invented the Cobb salad. The Cobb salad was invented uh, at the Brown Derby by Bob Cobb. Robert Cobb. <laughs> <laughs> what? Was he a chef or did he own the Brown Derby? He was the owner of the Brown Derby. And after a, a long day of work, he wanted something to be made. So he would just find whatever was left over and chop it up into a bunch of little pieces and turn it into a salad. And that's how the Cobb salad got made. I really love that you know the history of the Cobb salad because you love that salad so much. I do. But you say Bob Cobb. I don't say anything. And you say Robert Cobb. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know people named Bob. Their names are Robert. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, Robert Cobb. <laughs> <laughs> well, why didn't you say anything when I said Bob Cobb? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Okay. Well, whatever the case may be, Richard Cobb in this picture is not the inventor of the Cobb salad. That is Bob Cobb, Rob Cobb, Robert Cobb. <laughs> so I don't think he went by Rob at any point. Um. So we meet Richard Cobb and he looks concerned. He's concerned that um, Helen uh, Manson, Helen Manson, hasn't slept. We should mention the relationship that Richard Cobb has with Jeffrey Radcliffe. They are cousins. Yes. He's tried to get the hanging reversed or postponed and wants to help, but he's unable to help. I did put down that he definitely has ulterior motives towards Helen, which we find out later on. So this guy already comes in real sketchy. Yeah. And if we're going to follow the trope of uh, all of these movies, yeah. Um, by well, by throwing in um another character which we haven't gotten to yet. I think he comes in like in 2 seconds. But Dr. Griffin, I thought that might be where we'll get that friend who wants in on your girl. Mm-hmm. But we don't. It comes in the form of Richard Cobb. And again, though, it's very formulaic. Yeah, it seems like every monster movie has a, has a love affair or has a love story and some guy trying to get in on the act. Yeah. So Richard Cobb wants to help out. So he goes to make a phone call and find out if he can help postpone or yeah reverse this so uh while he's there griffin also shows up dr griffin who is a friend of jeffrey's Mm -hmm. and he tells helen to be strong no matter what the outcome is of this phone call that um richard cobb is placing right and once he places the call and it seems like there is no help he goes to the prison um so he goes to the prison to go see jeffrey he's like the only person that is allowed to see jeffrey i was under the impression of well because he's an an honorable doctor yes when he goes in there there's a close-up of the clock on the wall and uh, we're shown the passage of time through this clock later the men are walking to the prisoner cell and which men they're the guards Mm -hmm. and uh, one of them says uh, that jeffrey is gone he's gone Who's gone? What do you mean? The prisoner, Radcliffe. What are you talking about? And now our prisoner is missing. He has escaped. They call the sergeant. The guards that were on duty are Bob and another guard. Um, And they recount how Jeffrey disappeared. They were pretty much like playing cards with him. Mm -hmm. um, And Jeffrey excused himself to the back part of the cell. And he walked... They said that he went to go, like, wash his hands or something. And then they didn't hear him anymore. And when they went back there, they just found a pile of clothing. Yeah. And the faucet was still on. Yes. It's witchcraft. That's what it is, sir. When the guards are recounting this story, uh, the main guard is the same guard from Dracula's daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. The one that, that was in charge when Dracula's daughter came in and... Took the body of Count Dracula. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like with the little, the little burrowing mm-hmm. and ah, man. And so now we're in the forest and I love that they show him being invisible this way. You're tracking through the forest and bushes are moving, being pushed aside and branches are being broken. Right. Um, and there's a path being cleared that leads to a suitcase 
like a little piece of cloth on a tree and underneath that there's a suitcase and the suitcase opens um, and there's clothes and shoes in there and they all get pulled out next we go to radcliffe mine i just ended up calling it radcliffe mine we're led to believe that this is owned by the radcliffe family and this is pretty much their business yeah it's a coal mine so there are mines and the main structure that we see in these long shots is sort of a mine cart lift that brings the coal up and dumps it into the uh like a pit yeah Uh, kind of like a pit it has yeah it has like an escalator type of thing where the coal is put into little carts and goes up there and then drops down right here we see dr griffin and he is in his lab mr cobb drops by and lets him know that jeffrey escaped and that helen is gone as well he's being sought after by the police and they say to shoot him on sight yeah and just so there's no confusion this lab this hospital is on the premises of the coal mine yeah it is a little strange, but, but they I guess, do clear it up later on. Yeah. They comment that the lab is there. Yes, they do for sure say that. But what a coal mine needs to the hospital, I don't know. But maybe that was a common thing. I don't know. Well, maybe I would assume so because, like, I would think that this mining is dangerous. So oh, they yeah. would need something like a doctor. Treatment or for the emphysema. Yes. Um, Griffin then very slyly says, shot on sight. He repeats that. Now shoot him on sight. On site. Cobb knows that Griffin knows something, but he won't give him details and he won't help. Scotland Yard at this point gets involved and they go to the hospital, which is on the same premises, like you said, mm-hmm. as the coal mine, to talk to Dr. Griffin. Dr. Griffin. We meet Inspector Sampson, who says that Jeffrey and Griffin were collaborating on something. And here we find out that Dr. Griffin's brother was Jack Griffin, who was the Invisible Man. Yes, this uh, doctor is the brother of Claude Rains's Invisible Man. And, and those events took place nine years ago. Yes, and I do like that we get a little bit of a summary just to remember how this all works. Yeah. Um, that it's an Indian herb that they're able to distill down and inject to themselves. But the side effects of this is that they go insane. Yeah, the funny thing is the name of the drug is different than it was in The Invisible Man. Oh, really? In The Invisible Man, it was called Monocaine, and uh-huh, here it's uh-huh. called Duocaine. He concocted a formula which included a poisonous drug called Duocaine. So is it just like double the dosage? I don't know. Oh. I wonder why they made that distinction of changing it. Another interesting thing is when we do find out that he is the brother of Jack Griffin, they show a profile. The uh, Scotland Yard has a profile of Jack Griffin. Uh, it actually says John Griffin on it, but John and Jack were interchangeable. It's like Bob and Rob Oh, uh, back then. Okay. Not so much these days, it feels like. No, I don't think so. But they have a nice little picture of Claude Rains in the in the packet, which mm-hmm. I like. always like seeing Claude. Thank you. He suspects that Griffin has figured out a way to make someone invisible without the insanity and that he probably has an anecdote or something to get them back. Antidote. Dang it. Here we go again. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. (laughs) So the inspector 
leaves, but before he does, he has some of his men watch Dr. Griffin and monitor in case something happens. Uh, next we go, we see Helen and she is waiting in a house in the woods with a gentleman named Ben. She says that Jeffrey is hurt. So she's kind of filling Ben in and kind of preparing him for the state in which Jeffrey might show up, but she's not specific or anything about it. Yeah, Ben is a sort of hermit who has a really nice house. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Frank Griffin is friends with them. I assume he came to uh, check on him for whatever reason. And uh, Griffin called in this favor. Yes. She doesn't want Jeffrey bothered or wants anyone to know that he's going to be at that house. And Ben honestly just is like, yeah, that's no problem. He has a dog outside And this dog starts barking. A man at this point in bandages walks through the woods and towards the house. And no, it's not a dapper mummy. It's our friend, Jeffrey, the Invisible Man. Yes, he greets Helen and says, and he comments that he is the phantom fiance. How does it feel to have a phantom fiance? Yes, a slight bit of humor from Bits and Price, yes. Once he gets in the house, the dog this whole time is just going crazy. And the dog howling sets him on edge. So we start to see him. We have very little exposure mm-hmm. to Jeffrey being okay. Yeah, he, we just kind of have to take their word for it that he's a mild-mannered man, you know? Yeah. And yeah, you do see him snap a little bit when the dog is barking. And it plays into the fact that this... Duo Kane could drive him insane. He talks about how Frank Griffin is working on an antidote. He wants to head out. He wants to find the person who murdered Michael, his brother. And he also comments that Dr. Griffin promised him that um, he would not let him go insane there's a bit of a ticking clock in this movie because frank griffin needs to figure out the antidote for uh becoming invisible Mm -hmm. or vincent price will go crazy yes vincent price needs to solve the murder before he goes crazy Mm -hmm. and before he has to become visible again yes and not only does Vincent Price want to solve the murder because it's his brother, but if he solves the murder, he will be off the hook for the murder. Yes. We get back to seeing Frank Griffin at the lab, and he is experimenting on some guinea pigs. Um, and I really love how this is done with this little harness. And it's, I don't know, magnets? I don't know. But it's this little harness. I think there are strings. You think there are strings? Um, that we're led to believe has a little invisible guinea pig in it. So I like that this is how we get to see it all happen. And he injects the antidote into the guinea pig and the guinea pig comes back. Um, And the way that it comes back, I love it. You have like the little skeleton and then the little meaty bits and it becomes the little... The musculature. (laughs) It becomes the little guinea pig. It squeals a little bit, makes some noise, and then it dies. So you get to Mm. see Frank's excitement over figuring this out, but then it dies. 
Yeah, so he, he knows he's close, but he has to figure out a way to make someone visible and to keep them living, because what's the point? Yep. Now we're in the woods, and the dog that we saw earlier is in the woods, and he's whining and barking. A police officer sees him, a police officer who's biking through the woods. Yeah, they do that. Um, <laughs> He sees him and stops by. He knows that this is Ben's dog, so... He decides he's going to take this dog back. Helen and Jeffrey are sleeping and Jeffrey wakes up and he ends up being reminded of his current bandage state and kind of freaks out. So he had a moment where he thought he, everything was fine. Yeah, he just kind of touches his face and realizes his head is covered in bandages. And for a second, he forgot. Mm-hmm. So he walks over to the mirror and he takes off his goggles as he does that. And he's looking at himself in the mirror. He has no eyes where yes. his eyes should be exactly and it's a great shot and a great effect because you could see like all the way inside his eye sockets to the back of uh, his head where yeah you can the see bandages the bandages are. yeah ben walks in at that moment with breakfast and sees his missing eyes the jumping jaws <laughs> jeffrey's upset and frustrated and helen wakes up and he has a conversation with helen about the current state that they're in uh, and Helen ends up crying during this conversation and he goes to wipe her tears away but and his hand is missing yeah he kind of takes his glove off as he reaches for his handkerchief and he is wiping her tears and you just see the floating handkerchief and then he realizes that his invisible hand is right in front of her face and he uh you know slaps his own hand away <laughs> the police show up with the dog and the police question Ben um, the dog keeps barking at the window. He wants to go upstairs and Ben tries to hold him back. The police then try to come in and Jeffrey tells the police that they are intruding on a private home. Don't be afraid, darling. I can leave any moment I like. What's going on here? You know that you're intruding in a private house? The Officer then goes back downstairs and makes a phone call to the station. He tells him about this person, Jeffrey, who won't tell him his name. And the inspector tells him not to let him take off his clothes um, and to to keep him there, basically. And of course, it does not go terribly well. Jeffrey goes to make his escape. I'll meet you at the manor after I've seen Frank. As he is removing all of his bandages, Helen does peek over sees what's up and she faints yeah she sees him when he has removed the bandages off of his face so he looks like a headless person walking around yep when the police go up there they find a fainted helen and someone says well he took off his clothes no wonder she fainted once the inspector arrives helen is gone they are able to pull a print from inside the room and match it to jeffrey I was not prepared for that, for them to pull a print. And then they like look at it under a little, like they have like a little comparison print. Yeah. And then they they quickly look at it and they're like. They have those fresh because remember the inspector, he is suspecting that he escaped by means of invisibility because he knows of what happened nine years ago and Mm -hmm. that Frank Griffin was involved with that. So Jeffrey, he was processed and arrested uh recently so he has those fresh prints available to him oh i mean i just wasn't expecting this movie to have like 
a CSI situation <laughs> where they're like enhance and they just bring out their little magnifying glass and they, <laughs> they look at his prints. They did it. <laughs> now we're back with Richard Cobb as he's waiting for Helen. I said that he's totally into her and almost tells her, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey arrives to Dr. Griffin's and he knocks on the door and um, he's invisible when he walks in. They end up having a conversation and Griffin says that he needs some of Jeffrey's blood. Um, Mm -hmm. He'll need it to help with this antidote situation. And when he does draw the blood, I really like how they did this because it's just like it looks like water. Like he inserts the syringe and then when he goes to pull it, pull out the blood. I mean, really, it should have been like there shouldn't have been anything in it. But because of the movie and we're visual people, um, (laughs) it fills up with water. What looks like water or clear blood. (laughs) Yeah. And this effect You can kind of see where Vincent Price's arm was. You could kind of see the outline of his Mm -hmm, arm. mm -hmm. No effect was perfect back then. No, but I like that there's just like, there's still, you can tell where the person, the actor is. Right. Well, that shot in particular makes me wonder, why did they need the person's real arm at all? Yeah. But I, I guess it sells it more that it's actually being inserted into something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We meet from here a workman named Spears, and he interrupts. He wants to talk about an injured man. Yeah, we met him before, actually, but it was kind of a small little introduction. But this is where we kind of get his story. I like this character. He's very neat looking. There's a lot, a lot going on with this man. He wants to talk about an injured man that was injured in Tunnel 3, which is where Dr. Griffin told him not to go. So Spears, from this conversation, we find out that Spears is not exactly, kind of marches to the beat of his own drum. And there's just something like a little bit of an arrogance about him. So he vaguely threatens Griffin in this conversation and really disregards anything he has to say. Yes. And the whole point of this scene is we find out that Spears is now the, I think, superintendent of the mine. And he's very new to this position. Very new to this position. And this was Jeffrey's previous position. Yes. Spears walks out and is followed by Jeffrey. Yeah, Jeffrey is a bit suspicious of Spears now because he doesn't understand why a drunk, a bumbling fool would be given such a high position all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So Spears goes to his car and Jeffrey kind of just like plays with the car. He lifts up the hood. Yeah, the car breaks down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he well, tampers with it. Yeah. Uh, while he's driving, the invisible man pulls some plugs uh, in the engine to make it stop. Mm-hmm. So Spears is now pulled over. And anything Spears does to fix the engine, Jeffrey will undo something else. Yes, this scares Spears. You can't repair it, Mr. Spears. I had but one glass of whiskey. Only one? Well, two. (laughs) Satan! Yells Satan. Yes, that's the best. So he does. He yells Satan and then runs away um and he gets taunted by jeffrey who pretends to be a ghost yeah this is pretty neat 
which causes Spears to faint. And at one point, while he is claiming to be a ghost, he sneezes. And uh, Spears was like, oh, you never heard of a ghost sneeze before? I'm a ghost. Ghost? <laughs> Can a ghost sneeze? It's cold in the other world. So cold. <laughs> Turns out that Spears saw Cobb kill Michael. So we find out here that our friend, well, he wasn't a friend. He was a weird shady character, Richard yeah. Cobb, murdered Jeffrey's brother, Michael. Yes. So when Jeffrey was pretending to be a ghost haunting Spears, he was, uh, you know, threatening him, scaring him. He passes out. Eventually he takes Spears and dips his face into some water, bringing him back to consciousness. And he says he's not going to leave him alone until he finds out the truth. And that's how he gets it out of him that Cobb did kill Michael. And again, the reason that Jeffrey knew to ask Spears about this is because he put two and two together. That Cobb, who is in charge of the mine, gave Spears the superintendent job. And he knows Cobb would never give this type of person that job. Yes. So he got this promotion to keep quiet um, and Cobb has threatened to kill him. Mr. Cobb told me he'd kill me if I told on him. He cries and runs home. Jeffrey follows him home and is able to sneak in right before he closes the door or the windows because he sneaks in through the windows. I really like how they show where he is. So as he runs in, you see the windows open and then he goes to secure his house. But Jeffrey's already in there. Yeah, you see the the curtains flap a little bit showing that the invisible man has entered. Spears is packing up his stuff and plans to leave. And he pulls out his some rope to tie his suitcase together. Yep. This is when Jeffrey hits him and thanks him for the rope and um, ties him up. Yeah, this is a great effect. It's uh, stop motion to tie up mm. his feet. And he says that he plans to visit Cobb. And after I've got you all tucked up for the night, I've got an appointment to keep with a certain gentleman named Richard Cobb. So now we're with Cobb. And he's in the study at, is this at Radcliffe Manor? Yeah, well, this is this is where Richard lives. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. And the door opens mysteriously. He uh, closes it. Helen arrives and Cobb wants to talk with her. He asks how Jeffrey might be. Like, it, his wording's very interesting here. Helen plans to tell him about Jeffrey. But at that moment, Jeffrey reveals himself to be there and wants Cobb to write a confession. For the murder of Michael, no doubt. He then goes on to tell Helen and Cobb about his plans, Cobb's plans, to get rid of him and Michael by killing off Michael and framing Jeffrey for it. You recall my brother Michael, no doubt. Yes. And surely you remember killing him? Cobb then... I said, Cobb throws a statue... And then shoots in the worst way ever (laughs) towards where he thinks Jeffrey is. He does. But it's funny because, you know, Helen's there the whole time and he's trying to keep his innocence. And he's just like, I've had enough of this. And he throws that statue at him and just tries to murder him right there by shooting him a bunch of times. Yeah. (laughs) 
He runs out of the study and he runs into the inspector. He tells him that Jeffrey is invisible. Jeffrey, he's invisible. And the inspector tells him to smoke a cigar, which I found very out of place. But then you find out that this is how the inspector is like his plan. If he is smoking a cigar, he knows, because I think he said it earlier, Mm -hmm. that smoke and rain would reveal the invisible man. Right. The inspector blows the smoke and we see the silhouette of Jeffrey standing next to them. Yeah, Jeffrey is standing right next to them listening to this conversation. And at that moment, it's almost as if the inspector knew he would be there and he just lunges towards him trying to grab him. But Jeffrey quickly gets out of the way. But I think this is the best effect of the movie. It's really neat. It's how they really show well that done. Silhouette. He asks Cobb why Jeffrey would want to kill him. Cobb doesn't tell him the inspector calls the police to set up a search and to set up guard around Cobb at this time it starts raining outside and uh, Jeffrey tries to step outside so they have a bunch of guards or a bunch of policemen who have come in who have equipment to catch the invisible man yeah and they've set up a perimeter around Cobb who is losing his mind and just wants to get out of the house but they're like no no no, stay here you'll be safe right so since it's raining jeffrey tries to step out but the rain gives him away he gets shot at but missed by police um yeah this is another incredible effect showing him appear in the rain i'm not sure how they did the effect really yeah i would imagine they had a certain color type of water that would appear you know he like the original invisible man vincent price was in all black against a black background and then they would superimpose the scene and all that uh so whatever is not black on him would appear on film so if there's a different color liquid on him or something that will appear on film well young robert if i remember correctly from writing the tram tour at universal studios <laughs> yep pretty much my entire childhood they would add milk to the water <laughs> in order right. to make that invis or make it visible on film so he runs back into the house and the police let the inspector know that he is back in the house so they set up a search inside of the house with police who are armed with these like they have these i think it's actually very scary looking they have this like weird mask thing it's a gas like mask. A, yeah like a tube and then they um have these little canisters or big canisters and they're just smoking the house so that they'd be able to see him yeah and it's funny that they're wearing the gas masks because i think the main inspector he's not wearing one no he's just and smoking then a cigar. helen who's around the house she's not wearing one <laughs> Jeffrey attacks one of these police officers. Another great shot uh, showing his silhouette in the smoke. And takes him into a room and takes his clothes. And then he emerges dressed up just like all the other police officers. Yeah, which is funny because it's a good effect thinking back on it that he could escape this way. But do you think that's something the cops would have thought of that they're wearing costumes that he could potentially escape this way? Possibly. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like the inspector had to have, because this inspector is very clever. He is, but he didn't see past this. That's true. He runs into Helen and tells her to faint. Just uh, faint. Will you please, darling? Faint. 
um, which she's very good at this. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey runs into Helen's room and he's going to escape with her. But the only way he can is to yeah. make up a reason as to why a cop would be carrying her out. So he tells her to do her best acting job and faint. He's able to carry her out in this police ruckus. Uh, there's some policemen in the front of the house and uh, one of their canisters erupts which causes a little bit of a ruckus and he's able to slip past them with her in his arms meanwhile the other police that were in the hallway find a locked door and they call for help because they think that they that they've cornered him in this room inside they find the declothed police officer (laughs) that um that jeffrey had Stolen the clothes from. from. And the inspector is not amused. Like, he's pretty mad. It isn't him, sir. A profound observation. Next, we see the Griffin residence, where the police have staked out the house. Uh, The rain here stops. As they're walking around, they think in the trees that the the invisible man is up there and they end up getting really freaked out. But it turns out that it's a cat in a tree that is probably held there by Jeffrey because it turns out that Jeffrey is in the tree and this cat's a distraction. Yeah. Um, and he's able to get into Griffin's home. These are not nice atmospheric shots of the trees, though. It's nighttime with a bright light on them and mm-hmm. a windy night and... I will say that once he gets in the house, he's a little careless because he just starts turning on all the lights. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, Jeffrey gets into the house and calls the lab where Dr. Griffin actually is currently in. And um, Helen is also in the lab now. He tells them to come over and celebrate with him. Griffin is upset that he hasn't figured out an animal antidote imagine me thinking i could solve this riddle in a few days i'd need a lifetime jeffrey's so happy that he's outsmarted them he's also going a little insane and talks about feeling powerful and unstoppable mm-hmm. he comments that he's going to just take some of griffin's clothing and so he by the time they get there he is dressed up correct they're at the dinner table now having this conversation and griffin definitely sees that he is going bonkers. You know, being invisible has distinct advantages. It gives one a sense of power that's exciting. Yeah, uh, Vincent Price is having lots of talk about uh, ruling the world and power, you know, much like how Claude Rains did in the original Invisible Man. Yes. And, you know, Griffin, he makes mention to Jeffrey that Jeffrey warned him to stop him if he starts to go mad but when griffin tells him this jeffrey doesn't really take kindly to it because he can't reason with a madman no no definitely he's definitely not so um griffin tries to sneak a sedative into the champagne and tries to get jeffrey to drink it jeffrey is getting more and more upset at him and he simply will not drink this drink he knows that something's a little off jeffrey walks out for a hot second and griffin has a moment here that he can talk to helen and tell her tells her that they need to get him to drink the champagne that they need to really play up to him and just goad him into drinking the champagne jeffrey returns without his bandages 
and is laughing. He wants them to drink to him. Well, drink. Drink to me. Drink to my invincible power. To a new era. To a changed world with me as its guiding genius. <laughs> and he passes out from this sedative in his drink. Griffin handcuffs him to a chair to restrain him. And brings him into another room. Here we get a really interesting scene where Jeffrey wakes up and plays into what Griffin wants to hear. Yeah, he's acting all weak and kind. And yes, and he asks him for some water. Yes, my, my, my throat is a little bit parched. May I have a, a, a little drink of water, please? He attacks Griffin pretty brutally here and frees himself. Well, you forgot to mention that first I threw the water in his face. <laughs> Unnecessary. He uses that water as a way to attack Griffin pretty badly and frees himself so he can go visit Cobb, as he put it. By the way, have you ever thrown water in someone's face like that? No. God, I'd love to do that one day. Don't do it to me. I won't do it to you, but... Uh. I mean, I hope I'm there for that. So he goes to visit Cobb. The police arrive at the Griffin residence because the other two were spooked off, so now they all come back, and it's a little too late. Like, they miss him. So Cobb, last time we saw him, was being held by the police in the room, and he, um, at some point, fell asleep, and he's woken up, oh, I like how this is done, by Jeffrey, and there's, like, a little gun floating mm-hmm. pointed at him. He takes Cobb out of the house, tells him to act naturally as he walks out right behind him holding that pistol to his back yes now walk quite naturally as if no one was with you be charming and clever when you speak to the guards and be careful richard i may press the trigger in my excitement so the first policeman tells him that he can't leave the room and vincent price has had enough of that and just pistol whips him Mm -hmm. and then they're about to leave the house and another policeman stops them and asks where he's going and this time Cobb is a little bit more professional with what he has to say and talks his way out of the house and uh, at one point the cop does call to the previous cop that was knocked out asking where he is and he just figures that he went off somewhere so he goes to check on him and as he's checking on him Cobb leaves. So they arrive at the Radcliffe mine where Spears is in a house there, which I believe is his like, or his office. I would assume it's where he lives. Yeah. And he is tied up as well as hung to like, he's supported, but he's, his neck is tied to a beam and his hands and feet are bound. But he's still like, so he's like on a chair or something. Standing on a chair with a noose around his neck. Yes. And Spears talks. He says all the things. And Cobb has had enough of Spears and kills Spears. Jeffrey and Cobb enter Spears' house. As soon as Spears starts talking, Cobb says, I've had enough and kicks the chair out from under him, causing him to hang. He promised me money and a good position if I kept my mouth shut. I can't. Then the men, Cobb and Jeffrey, fight in the darkness of the house. Some passing employees think that Spears is in there drunk again and just tearing up the house. Which he's done in the past. Yes, apparently so. 
Cobb gets thrown through a window mm-hmm. during their fight and, and, the other, and runs out. Yeah, he runs out and the other workers see him and they're surprised to see Cobb of all people coming out of that ruckus. Yes. Because um, remember, he's the owner. He's the boss. Uh, Jeffrey gives chase and ends up chasing him through the crowds of workers that are outside doing whatever they're doing. Great chase music here, too. Yes. The police arrive and they shoot blindly. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're shooting at or why they're shooting at this moment. It's kind of weird. But Jeffrey's able to outsmart them. Cobb, for some reason, has decided that he's... Well, I guess for the reason of the movie is going up the coal conveyor belt elevator thing. And yeah, he has no idea where else to go. So yeah, maybe that'll be safe. Um, <laughs> um, and so Jeffrey goes up it and um, attacks Cobb. Yeah. They're fighting in a, in a mine car full of coal. It's done so well. Like mm-hmm. this actor really knows how to beat himself up. Strategic Hardwick. So as they're going up this conveyor belt, I love the way that you kind of see it working is that like the carts full of coal go up this belt, then make a left and go past this little like bump, which activates a little lever on the side and it dumps out all the contents, the coal into a coal pile. Yeah. And that's it, which I think is kind of unnecessary but I don't really know where this coal is coming from. Maybe it's coming from further down to the well, right. I, I think you're supposed to think that there are mine shafts deep into the ground. And, and these are coming, coming up from the mine shafts? Yeah. Okay, cool. So they're fighting on one of these cars. They shoot blindly at yeah, and where they think Jeffrey is. Yeah, these are a row of mine cars. So they're getting closer and closer to being the next one that's about to tip over. Yes. This is very much like an Indiana Jones movie all it of a is. sudden. It is. Um, I think they all try to warn Cobb and they're like trying to get him to get out. But he doesn't do it in time. and He ends up falling into this little coal pile or this big coal pile. Yes, and that's after they shoot at Jeffrey, and he's more focused on Jeffrey, and he's asking the police if they got him, because he doesn't know, because he can't see. And as he's focused, trying to get his his question answered, in he goes. He's now mortally wounded, and he asks to see Helen, um, and confesses to her what he did as he dies. I killed Michael. We get this really great shot of a hurt Jeffrey. Um, and it's this ladder that has all of this like coal dust. Yeah. And all the soot. It's well, it's not soot though, because it's a lot thicker. Yeah. It's just like dirt. Coal dust. Coal dust. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and it's looking down at everyone who's not paying attention to this ladder. And we see footprints on a ladder go down the ladder kind of slowly yeah so um, each step the cold dust you know falls from yes. where it was uh, sitting it's a great effect i really like it i do too and we we see that jeffrey is hurt as he's climbing down the ladder it's like a a little bit later yeah um this upcoming scene is the best scene of the movie in my opinion it's uh jeffrey talking to a scarecrow and he politely requests the clothes off of this scarecrow and we find out from what he's telling him that he's been shot so he takes yeah a coat some pants and a hat and a hat do you mind if i borrow your clothes old man it's cold 
I'm a bit shaky. Yeah, this scene is so good. It it, I don't know, it reminds me of such like the, like the golden age of movie making, like that that cloudy background. It looks like a, a shot from the Wizard of Oz or something. It's a very simple and, but very effective scene. Yeah, and it's written so well. In fact, I was reading something. And a reviewer was talking about how this scene is reminiscent of James Whale type of filmmaking mm. in this movie, mm-hmm. which it really is. This this scene is really special, I think. Jeffrey then makes his way back to the lab slash hospital, which is at the coal mine. As he's walking through the yard, it's really scary. Like someone screams and then I think Griffin and Helen look out the window and they go outside and they see the invisible man walking through all the people and you know he has the scarecrow's outfit so it's you know no face no feet it's just pants and you know a shirt and hat and he's making his way to to, uh griffin griffin wants to help he knows that he's lost a lot of blood because he's been shot so he asks the workers for blood donations and not one of them hesitates they all like to give blood because jeffrey was a good man yeah which i really love that he has this redemption i mean yeah that he just has all of this support griffin does think that this this probably won't work and and that he'll die anyway griffin still hasn't come up with the antidote on how to fix his invisibility so He thinks that Griffin will die because he can't see him to know uh, what to work on. Yeah. So he figures, you know, maybe if we do a blood transfusion, that'll give him some extra time to get the antidote. So he wants to try the antidote that he did have because either way, he'll die. But before he can try it out, um, they start to see him reappearing. Yeah. So um, this is done pretty well. I think I enjoyed it more in the first movie yeah. than this one. But he slowly starts reappearing. We see like his nervous system, his nervous system, his uh, veins. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then his skin reappears. And then we have a very handsome Vincent Price. Thank you, darling. Um, Griffin then deduces that the quote unquote new blood from the blood transfusions was the antidote for him. Yeah, visible blood is the antidote. The new blood itself was the antidote. So our hero now, Jeffrey, returns to normal and is reunited with his Helen. Yeah, now that he's visible, Griffin can save his life and do the surgery that's needed. Yep. And there's a great shot showing Griffin smiling, looking very happy. He's so happy. And then it's the end. Yeah, very happy ending to The Invisible Man Returns. It was a very, very happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) So what'd you think of the picture? Oh, I thought it was good. Yeah, I I like it a lot. It... um, it's not one of my favorite Universal Monster movies. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best of the Invisible Man sequels, but it doesn't come anywhere near the original. No, because it needs more brooms and more <laughs> um, terrorizing and yeah. more bicycles. Yeah, and even though you do see some hints of him going mad, I would have liked him to go even further. And I would have liked Vincent Price to use his classic Vincent Price voice. Like... Claude Rains has the perfect voice for the Invisible Man, and the only one that could compete with that is Vincent Price, but he's not doing his usual, well, the way he talks in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I guess he just wasn't there yet, right? Yeah. Because you get hints of it here and there, but... 
it he it never it never fully manifests. Yeah. But it's a very fun movie and I recommend it. I do too. Well Yes. <laughs> you want to tell me some things? Yeah, why not? Okay. So let's just go right into it, right as if the Invisible Man was coming after you. So the Invisible Man Returns, 1940. So I mentioned earlier that Kurt Siodmak wrote this movie, who also did The Wolfman, and Joe May, who directed this movie, also came up with the story. Mm-hmm. Joe May was from Germany, and he didn't really speak English very well. So one might wonder, how do you direct a movie where you can't speak to your actors? Uh-huh. Well, the actors are very, very frustrated, but... The person that wasn't frustrated was Vincent Price himself because he had lived in Germany for a while while he was going to school. Oh. So he spoke German with him. And when the director would try to direct Vincent Price or the other actors with scenes that had Vincent Price, it was very confusing because his English was so awful. So Vincent would yell at him saying, just speak in German, damn you. And, <laughs> and uh, he would translate for him. Ah. <laughs> So this is Vincent Price's second horror film he ever did. Mm -hmm. His first was Tower of London from 1939 with Boris Karloff, another universal movie. Uh But this is the first time he played a fantastic character, you know, uh, like a monster, basically. Mm -hmm. And a classic monster it is. Really quickly, want to just go over the cast with you. Richard Cobb, we have Sir Cedric Hardwick, who is a classic actor. He is in a bunch of horror movies we'll see him next in ghost of frankenstein as the second son of frankenstein oh my gosh (laughs) uh but he was also frollo in the 1939 hunchback oh and he was Hmm. he's got some real frollo energy yeah he was in so many things and he played a villain a lot Mm -hmm. yeah i could see that he's a weasley guy yeah he was also in rope the hitchcock movie (gasps) Uh uh-huh and he's the Narrator in War of the Worlds, the 1953 version. Ooh. The Martians had no resistance to the bacteria in our atmosphere to which we have long since become immune. And he's also the narrator for The Picture of Dorian Gray, the 1945 version. Okay. Then we have Vincent Price as Jeffrey Radcliffe. We all know uh, Vincent Price and what he went on to do. Mm -hmm. You know, be the biggest horror movie star in the world by the time the 60s and 70s came. Mm -hmm. Nan Gray played Helen Manson, and we met her earlier in Dracula's Daughter as Lily. The inspector, uh, Cecil Kellaway, will meet him again in The Mummy's Hand. Okay. Which also came out in 1940. That'll be coming up soon on the podcast. And the final person I want to mention in the cast is Spears, who is played by Alan Napier. Do you know who that is? That name sounds familiar, but I think I'm thinking of something else. Well, maybe not. He was Alfred in the Batman TV show. Mr. Wayne is not at home, sir. Okay, I was thinking of Batman. I was like, (laughs) oh, Batman. But in the Tim Burton one, did they give the Joker that last name? Did they? Let's see. Yeah, they did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that has to be an insight. Uh, uh-huh. See, yeah. my reference was not the right <laughs> reference, but I knew it was still Batman. Yeah, and Alan Napier, he was in some other Universal horror pictures, including House of Horrors with Rondo Hatton. Oh. I also want to just say Dr. Frank Griffin, he was played by John Sutton. I don't know that actor very well. I don't know if I've ever seen anything else with him. Oh, he doesn't show up in any other monster movie? He was also in Tower of London, oh. but 
beyond that, I don't think so. Oh, okay. The movie was released January 15th, 1940, mm-hmm. which means it's celebrating its, what, 80th anniversary? Oh, my gosh. <gasps> the day after this comes out. Yeah. It had a budget of $281,743, and it grossed $815,100. So it did really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scarecrow scene that... We loved so much. Yes. Uh, that took several hours to shoot because of the difficulties of the effects. And the effects were done by John P. Fulton, who did the original Invisible Man effects. And he did the effects of all the Universal Monster movies. And this movie actually got him an Oscar nomination for Best Special Effects. Oh, that's great, because it does have very good effects. It does. Uh, yeah, even better than the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we'll see... The Invisible Man movies, the quality of the movies might not be as good as the original, but the effects get better and better. And then the final thing I just want to say real quick is, do you remember that this is the first of two Invisible Man performances by Vincent Price? No. Vincent Price played the Invisible Man one more time in a cameo in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. He has the last line of the movie. Oh. Now that we've seen the last of Dracula, the Wolfman and the Monster, there's nobody to frighten us anymore. Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to get in on the excitement. Who said that? Allow me to introduce myself. I'm the Invisible Man. So that's pretty much it. I have not been able to find a ton of information about the Invisible Man Returns. You know, now that we're getting into the sequels of these classic horror movies, the information that's out there isn't as prominent as the originals. Mm. So, well, with the Frankenstein movies, those there's, there's always a lot of information for those. But, but as we get into the Invisible Man and the Mummy sequels and the Dracula sequels, not as much. But... We'll still do those movies and talk about them. <laughs> so on that note, Inthea, yes. why don't you tell everyone how they could contact us and where they could find us in the future? You can find us at podsandmonsters.com. On Instagram, you can find us at podsandmonsterspodcast. And then on Twitter and Facebook, you can find us at Pods and Monsters. If you want to send us any suggestions or comments, feel free to drop into our Instagram or you can send us an email at podsandmonsters at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed our show and have a moment, please take the moment to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or um, share this with a friend or two. Um, It just really helps us get out there. Also, we have the first six months of 2020 of our schedule listed on podsandmonsters.com under the coming attractions tab. Um, We have links to trailers. So if you want to follow along, you can get prepared. Or if you just want to keep it a big old secret to yourself and be surprised every time we drop anything in, then don't pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a fun time and we have some fun movies coming up. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about some of those. Yeah. So, for Pods and Monsters, my name is Robert. And I'm Inthea. And watch out, catch me if you can, because I'm the Invisible Man. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Don't worry, I'll be back. <laughs>